Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. My name is Chaplain Dan Brazel. I'm one of the chaplains here at Schofield Community Chapel. We're so glad that you're here as we start a new sermon series in Ephesians. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians as we will begin this sermon series this morning. As Chaplain Ronalds has already said, what we typically do on the first Sundays of the month is instead of having our children's programs where they're learning God's Word in classes once a month on the first Sunday, we have communion all together as a family. And let me take time again to say what I, what I want to remind you of all the time is that we're Schofield Community Chapel. We're a family. The sound of a baby crying is the sound of life. So we praise the Lord for that. None of us need to feel bad that our children make noises and those kind of things. We're just glad we're all here together. If you need to step out, you feel free to. If you want to sit here and let that baby cry, time after time, somebody will come up, oh, I'm so sorry about that baby. And I always say, I never, I never heard it. I'm just preaching and doing my thing. So you're not bothering any, you're not bothering anybody. We're just glad everybody's here together as a family. As we look at Ephesians this morning, we're going to look at the subject, the mystery revealed, connecting the family to Christ. For the past year, for those of us who have who have been here with us, we did a connection with your spouse as we did the Song of Solomon series. We did a connection with the Savior. If you remember, we went through Jesus' I Am statements leading us up to Easter. After that, we did a connection with the sinner, recognizing that we're all sinners, but in need of a Savior. We thank God for His salvation, and we talked about how to connect in that way. In Nehemiah, which we just wrapped up, we did connection to community. And now we're connecting our family to Christ. In many ways, we're going to continue that community aspect as we go through Ephesians. I want to go ahead and read to you a couple of passages out of the book of Ephesians as today we're going to have a an overview, a snapshot of the entire book and I hope that when we go away from this we're able to have a greater understanding of what is this mystery revealed and also how it applies to our life. So look at Ephesians and start in chapter 1 and I just want to read three verses to you right now. He says this, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. I hope that we really get to delve into this book. By the way, in the back when the service is over, we have some copies of a little Bible study on Ephesians that we'll make available to you and your family. If you'd like one for your family or if you're a single soldier and you want to take one or you're here by yourself, you want to take one, you're welcome to. It'll give you an opportunity to study Ephesians on your own. Maybe to study with a group of people, to study with other soldiers, to study at your family, at your family devotions. So that's our gift to you as we use that to help us understand a little bit more about the mystery revealed. Now, 
As you probably know, Paul wrote several epistles. There are four of them I want to point out that what many call the prison epistles. Ephesians is one of them, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Many times people refer to them as the prison epistles because Paul wrote them while he was in prison. Each of those letters makes reference to the fact that Paul's writing from prison. You'll see that as we read through Ephesians. You'll see it in Philemon, Colossians, and also Philippians. There are two recorded times in the book of Acts where it talks about Paul being in prison. One was in Caesarea, and the other was in Rome while Paul was awaiting trial for Caesar. You'll read about that in Acts 28. As you read and study those things, it seems like that Paul wrote Ephesians while he was awaiting his trial in Rome, while he was under arrest. Now, what I want to point out before we get to our outline today is this. Ephesians has a lot of doctrine in it. It has a lot of teaching, but it also has a lot of practical application. I believe as you read through the New Testament, you cannot divorce doctrine, you can't divorce teaching from the practical application. Ephesians is very focused on Jesus. It is the classic New Testament book that you can't flip the page without him talking about salvation being in Christ. You can't flip a page without him talking about the mystery, about being Christ-centered. He uses the phrase in Christ time and time again. It's always going to go back to Jesus. I can't help but think about, did y'all ever go to a church where you had a little children's church in the front of the church? Did anybody raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about? Y'all remember those days? And we won't do it right now, but you've, if you've been to those places where you, you can, okay, kids, y'all come up, right? And all the kids come up in the front and the guy leading it's teaching it, but he's praying to God that nobody says anything too embarrassing because you're turning kids loose and letting them answer questions and things. And, and, he was trying to do an illustration, and the man, he had all his little children gathered around, and he said, um, he said, okay, children, raise your hand if you know the answer. What's small and gray and furry and has kind of a fluffy tail, climbs up and down trees and, and eats nuts? And one of the kids raised his hand, and he said, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm sure the answer is Jesus. Well... I'm going to tell you right now, when you read through Ephesians, we could come up with all kinds of answers, but it's not going to take but a few verses. He's going to make a beeline right back to Christ, right back to his resurrection. That's where we're going with this. I want to point out a couple of passages of Scripture before we get to our outline today. And if you will, just keep your Bible open, and I'll reference a couple of places in Ephesians. I want to talk about this idea of where we got our title from, our chapel team, as we prayed about and as we studied Ephesians and as we looked at it. We decided on the title, The Mystery Revealed, and Paul talks about that. In fact, Drew read that passage earlier. I want to point a couple of those places out. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse number 9, where Paul says this, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Talking about that mystery revealed. Now, Go back to Ephesians chapter 3, which Drew read. I want to point out a couple of verses here. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 4. He's going to talk about the mystery again. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now jump down to verse 6 and see what he says. He defines the mystery for us. 
This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery revealed, essentially, is that God has brought Jews and Gentiles, that's just a word that means people who were not the Jewish people, the Jewish nation of, of that time, Paul is saying the mystery is that God connects all of us together in Christ Jesus. As we've already said, when you read through Ephesians, the first half is very heavy on the, on the reasons why. It's very foundational about doctrinal teaching. The second half of Ephesians is very much more focused on practical application. This is how you ought to walk or live as a result of, of these truths. With that said, I want to share two things with you today broadly, and we'll share a couple of points with that. First of all, let's look at the biblical foundation of the mystery revealed. The biblical foundation of the mystery revealed, and I believe the outline is in your bulletin as well. Point number one is this. The first foundational thing that you and I need to understand, the glory of God is the foundation of the mystery revealed. The glory of God is the foundation of the mystery revealed. I want to show you a couple of passages of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 3 that we've already read. And by the way, I won't go into this too much because this is more of an overview. Next week, you'll, you'll get in-depth verses 3 through 14 as Chaplain Runnels preaches for us and delves into a, to a deeper, deeper dive. But I want to show you Right off the bat, that the glory of God is the foundation. Look at verse 3 again. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us. Verse 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we be holy and blameless before Him in one in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Look at verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace. Right off the bat, Paul is saying, God has done a work in your life. God has done a work in my life. Yes, absolutely, I reap the benefit, but the ultimate goal is the glory of God himself. Go down to verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be what? To the praise of his glory. For about a month now, we'll sing it again next week. We've been singing a song called To the Praise of Your Glory and Grace. He continues to talk about this idea to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it to the praise of his glory. Your life and my life is all about bringing glory to God. Without bringing glory to God, there's no foundation for the mystery revealed. We live in a world that without God, it would make sense almost to say, if I focus on myself and if I focus on bringing myself the most pleasure, that is the greatest benefit to me. That's what the, that's what the world teaches, right? If I, if I just focus on myself, get all I can get, do all those things, make it all focused about me. But the foundation of the glory of God says that I actually exist not for myself, but to bring praise to God, that changes everything. That is foundational. And guess what? If we live to the praise of the glory of God, 
what happens? Read Ephesians chapter 1. I won't give it all away, but all the blessings and the inheritance and the possession, those things sound like things that I, I think would benefit me and that are good for me. Ultimately, bringing glory to God is the best thing that I can do. It is foundational. All through this book, he's going to keep using the phrase in Christ. He's going to use the phrase to the praise of his glory. This is foundational to everything else. Point number two. And to see this, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, an overview a little bit of Ephesians, but look at point number 2. And I'll give you the blanks. The gospel is grounded in the reality of human depravity, which is a fancy word for sin, and a salvation through the resurrected Christ by grace through faith. Let's look at that again. The gospel, that is the message of Jesus, it's grounded in the reality of of human sin, human depravity, and it's a salvation that is through specifically the resurrected Christ by grace through faith. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 1. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then verse 4 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, there it is again, dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in what? There it is again, in Christ. It is faith, but it's faith specifically in Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through, there's your faith, faith, and that's not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The concept that we are dead in sin is not a popular concept today. Many times people think of, of, of being lost without Christ. They think of it this way. I'm a lost person without Christ, and I'm in the hospital, and I'm sick. And over here on the table, there's a vial of medicine. And if I'll just reach over and grab that medicine and open it up and take the medicine, the medicine will, will make me be saved. Well, the picture that Paul draws here is not so much of a sick person but it is a what just say it a dead person say it dead i don't like to think about dead paul's picture is more like not so much that you're sick but that you're at the bottom of the ocean your body's decaying and sharks are eating your body which is gross to think about but that's the language that paul uses but then again remember what's the foundation the glory of god it's all about christ what happens we're dead but god did what he made us alive. He made us alive. Before I was in the Army, I had an opportunity to serve on city council in a city in South Carolina. And I distinctly remember we had a meeting because in our metropolitan city of 2,000 people, we had a crisis. And that crisis was the buzzard crisis. I'm going somewhere with this. Just hang with me. I distinctly remember it because we had voted to build a building that was like a million dollar building, which for us was a monstrous budget. Took about three minutes of discussion, done. Million dollars, sure, let's do it. The next hour and a half was the buzzard controversy. Well, the problem we were having was that the buzzards were coming into certain parts of the town and hanging out, and it was scaring our, our community. So they flooded the city council. So for us, that's like 10 people who came. 10 people came to city council and 
were very concerned. They were scared. These buzzards are going to eat us in our sleep. They're going to fly away with our children, whatever. So we didn't know what to do. So we did what any little town does. We just passed the buck up. We called the state of South Carolina. And wouldn't you know it that the state of South Carolina has a buzzard guy. I don't know what his proper name was, but we called the buzzardologist from Columbia, South Carolina. And he came down to our meeting. And I know more about buzzards than I knew even existed. And he educated us and he told us what we needed to do. And here's the bottom line, is that the reason the area had those buzzards is because there was a particular tree that was dying in the, in the woods there and they just liked that tree. It also had a perfect water source that they liked, so they had a shelter, they had water, and they had plenty of dead animals for whatever reason. And the buzzardologist told us, like, you, there's nothing you can do until you get rid of the tree, take care of the water source, and take care of the dead animals. You can, they say a buzzard's instincts are so powerful in, in what they're designed to eat because they only eat dead stuff. That like you could you could put a buzzard in a cage. That's what the man said. I don't know. If you Google it and find out different, that's fine. But this is what the man told me. You could put a buzzard in a cage with fruits, with vegetables, with corn. They say, the buzzard people say, that that buzzard will literally starve himself to death. You know why? Because it's not in his nature to eat that kind of stuff. The only way that he would ever eat that kind of stuff is that somehow his nature was miraculously changed. When you read through Ephesians and you read through this great salvation that we have, what you're going to see is that this, our sin, that is our, our, our sinful nature, Paul uses the term dead. We are in such a desperate need for Christ that the only hope that we have is that God does something in our hearts. It takes God to, to, to make a dead person come to life. That's why Paul uses that illustration. The gospel is grounded in the reality of human sin, but a salvation that is made possible through the resurrected Christ by grace through faith. Point number three. The mystery revealed is that believers are now united in Christ. We just read this, didn't we, in Ephesians chapter 3, that, that the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that is all people, are held together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in all these great promises that we're going to look at in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ as his people. If you are a child of God, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are part of his church you are in Christ. We're not so much a building of brick and mortar. We're not so much an institution with a product to sell. But we're more the body, which is the image that Paul uses in another passage of Scripture. The fullness of Christ. We're a community that is intent on being in Christ. Now, let me point this out. He uses the phrase in Christ over and over. But this concept of in Christ, it, although it does talk about unity, the unity that Paul talks about is a little different than the unity that many talk about today. 
this unity is not some sort of moral relativism. What do you mean by that, chaplain? Sometimes today when people use the language of we all have to be united, what they mean is that I can believe whatever my truth is over here, and let's come over here, and I can believe whatever truth I want over here, and you can believe whatever truth you want over here, as if we're comparing our favorite ice cream flavors. We can all believe whatever we want about ice cream and like whatever we want. But my point is, when you read through Paul in the New Testament, and you read through this idea of grace alone, salvation is through Christ alone, specifically through the resurrected Christ, the unity that he's talking about, he never uses the concept of unity without connecting it back to being in Christ. Meaning that we believe the truth that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, Son of God, died, buried, rose again, and is coming again one day. The unity is not your truth and my truth. The unity is wrapped in the truth. Remember, we're in church, the answer is Jesus, right? The unity is tied to Jesus himself. The in Christ is very specifically tied to being in Christ. These are the foundations of, of the mystery. These are the foundations of what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. But the second half I want to point out is this. I want to talk about some practical actions that result from the mystery revealed. Some practical actions that result from the mystery revealed. And before we get to point number one under this, I want, I want to say that on the first half of the book, he talks about our spiritual blessings, our spiritual wealth, you could say. In the second half of the book, he's going to talk about our spiritual walk. The first half of the book, he's going to talk about our position, the, the fact that we are God's child, the fact that we've been raised. The second half of the book, he's going to talk more about our practice. How is that lived out? He's going to talk about our Christian blessings. He already has in the first half. In the second half, he's going to talk more about our Christian behavior. In the first half, he talks about our heritage in Christ. In the second half, it's going to be more about our life in Christ. Does that make sense? In the first half, he's going to talk about the finished work of Christ. In the second half, he's going to talk about the faithful walk of the Christian. What I want us to get into our minds is that what we believe will affect what we do. Point number one is this, under the practical actions. And I want to share four with you. Number one, being in Christ will lead us to be a people of prayer. Being in Christ will lead us to being a people of prayer. People who commune with God on a regular basis. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read one of the prayers. Again, we'll be preaching on this in a few, in a few weeks, but I want you to read it. Look at verse 18 in Ephesians 1. He says, He prays that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance to the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, that is God's power, toward us who believe, so that working of his great might, he worked in Christ, which he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Paul is, is praying that we'll have enlightened eyes. He's praying that we'll have people who have communion with God. As we think about this practical action, how, how is our prayer life? 
Go to Ephesians 3. Let me read you another one here. Going down to verse 16. Look at this. There's another prayer. This is Paul praying for you and for me by extension a, few th a couple thousand years later. But this is his prayer. Look at Ephesians 3, 16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power. Here it is, through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's specifically praying that Christ will dwell in our hearts. You and I, as we're called to be people of prayer, let's pray to God that we'll be filled with his Holy Spirit, that we'll be people who pray to him. Let me read you one more prayer in the last part of the chapter. Go to Ephesians 6. This is the end of the book in verse 18. He gives us instruction, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With what? With all kinds of prayers and requests. Well, Chaplain, what can I pray to God about? What should I be talking to God about? Well, he's, I like that. He says all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. With this mind, be alert and keep on praying for who? For the Lord's people. We pray to God, we pray for each other. What a precious thing. Paul even says in 6.19, he says, pray for me that when I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known. There it is again, the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, by the way, in this being a people of prayer, pray for me too. And our chaplains, we say the same thing, pray for me. We pray for you as well. Number one, one action will be we'll be people of prayer. Well, number two, number two is this under these practical actions. Number two is who we are determines what we do. It will make a difference. It will make a difference. Go with me back to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you something in this passage that I don't think we've read yet. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, after he talks about the salvation that's given to us, that God has made us alive and that it happens by grace. In other words, God's just simply his goodness to us through our faith in him. Here's the so what he gives us in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's salvation, God's Holy Spirit, when he enters our life, will help us walk this Christian walk that he's called us to walk. The last thing that I want to have happen as we read through the book of Ephesians and we talk about the practical actions is, is I don't want us to hear a message, and, and I want to be clear on this, because there's been plenty of times where sometimes we hear what God's the things of, of the scripture and things, and, and if we're not careful, we'll hear this. You leave here and go do this. Leave here and go do this. And if I just do enough good, I'll sort of be all right. Anybody ever heard a message like that? It, it kind of get beat down sometimes. Just, just go do this and go do this. And the difference is the foundational truth of being in Christ and having the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine, that changes things because now it's not me doing enough to earn God's favor. God is my Heavenly Father and there's nothing I'm going to do today that's going to change that. Amen. We, 
we even can take care of that for the most part as, as earthly parents, can't we? A lot of y'all have children. Is there anything one of y'all's kids could do today that y'all would go, all right, we're done. I'm not your dad anymore. I'm not your mom anymore. We can get very mad, but for the most part, even, even we can handle that concept. And what did Jesus say? He said, if, you're, if even earthly dads who know how to give good things, don't you think your heavenly father knows how to give good things to his children? The good news is, is that because if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we are in Christ, there's nothing we can do that will change the status of that. In fact, if we find ourselves in a place where we're beaten down and we say, oh, I've done so many bad things, there's no way God could forgive me. If we find ourselves thinking that way, put that, we can put that out of our minds because that's saying something that's not true about God. God said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What Paul is teaching in Ephesians is not so much that you and I have to work, work, work to be right with God. That's not what he's saying. But he is teaching that we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to good works. That is the good that we do, that God calls us to do. He doesn't leave us hanging, so to speak. He gives us the strength to continue growing. Some would call that sanctification, which is just a fancy word that says I'm growing to live and be more like Jesus Christ. We are called to be his workmanship and that that changes everything. So, for example, when you read through Ephesians chapter four, we won't read through the entire thing today, but there's several times when Paul will say things like, therefore, don't walk this way. But now walk this way. He says, don't be deceitful. He says, speak the truth. He says things like, don't slander people, but rather be tenderhearted, be kind. I borrow a phrase that I learned from somebody along the way. I call it the put on, put off principle. Paul is saying because we're in Christ, for example, let him who steals, don't steal anymore. Work with their hands. How do we put off those things and then put on righteousness? Well, we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit as God leads us. Not because as a Christian I'm trying to earn God's favor or, or, be in, or make sure he's okay with me so much as God leads me along the way to walk in these things. It's not just being good for being good's sake. It's not working harder for working harder's sake. It's living out our faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're working hard today, put your faith in Jesus Christ and know that he can make the difference. Because of who we are in Christ, it will impact what we do, but God will be with us as we walk in those things. Point number three. Being in Christ will impact our relationships. This is one of the so what's. This is one of the practical actions. It'll impact our relationships. We won't take time to read it, but just a teaser for the future. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to talk about relationships with husbands and relationships with wives and relationships with children. He's already been talking about our relationship with Christ, but this being in Christ in fact, when you read Ephesians 5, all the language about the marriage, it's all within the context of the relationship of God's people and Christ himself, of Christ 
and his church. Even our relationship and our marriage is, is, is a model of Christ and the church. The gospel, the mystery revealed, the mystery that God brought us all together in Christ, it'll even impact our marriages and our relationships. It'll impact our children. It'll impact how we, how, how we strategically point our children to Christ. It'll, it'll impact how, how we guide our children, how we discipline our children, which, by the way, the root for the word discipline is to disciple, which is to grow uh, and grow and teach. The mystery revealed will impact our relationships with other people. The mystery revealed will impact our relationships at work. It'll impact how we interact with others. I'm convinced that, that, that living out a Christian faith can impact our entire army culture because what we're talking about is grounded in genuine love and concern for other people because the gospel impacts all those things. How much difference can, can even we make in this room if we simply live that out? The gospel will impact our relationships. And then point number four, our last point. The mystery revealed trains us for the spiritual battle. It trains us for the spiritual battle. Again, one more trailer for what's coming. The last chapter in Ephesians, he simply says in verse number 10, he says, be strong in the Lord, in Ephesians 6, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I won't go too much into this, but I will say this. When you read the armor that's in here, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find that all the way through Ephesians, all Paul's been doing is talking about those very things. He's already talked about the truth. He's already talked about the gospel. He's already talked about the shield of faith. He's already talked about the helmet of salvation. The way he's simply closing his book and this idea of training for the spiritual battle is he's reminding the Christians that our true enemy... It's, it's a spiritual battle that we fight in this world. And we're constantly training in righteousness to be prepared for what God may have for us in the future. The mystery revealed, one of the practical actions, is that we're always training. What are we doing in the army all the time? We're always training. We're always on a training cycle, right? We're all, you're on, everybody in here, you're on a cycle. Some of you, a couple weeks ago, you weren't in this room because you were out at KTA or wherever you were at doing 2nd Brigade Hua stuff, and we're all on some kind of cycle of training because we're always training. Paul is simply saying that being in Christ makes all the difference in the world, and one of the things that he wants to remind his people of is that we are also training for what spiritual battles we may face. If I had to guess, many of us could right now say, I'm in a spiritual battle. I'm in a battle for the soul of my fill-in-the-blank, somebody you care about. Maybe it's ourselves. Maybe it's our loved ones. A spiritual battle. The mystery revealed says we are one in Christ. And I hope and I pray that that makes a difference for us. Today we're going to take communion. As we have been talking today about the mystery revealed and being in Christ, as we take communion, I'm going to ask my, our chaplains to come up and we'll get ready to, to take communion now. This is 
a time where we get to reflect and we get to remember what Christ has done for us. What we've been looking at in Ephesians, now we get to celebrate together as we take the bread and as we drink the cup. I hope that it reminds us of about this great salvation that we have in Christ. Anyone who's here who's trusted Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to take a communion with us. I will pray for us, and then what we'll do is if you'll just simply come down through the middle and, and take, the, take, take the elements and then go back to your seats, and then I'll read a passage of Scripture, and we will take communion together. So let's, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. This mystery that's now revealed, that now we know, that you have brought us together in Christ through this great salvation. I pray that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we would remember and reflect on what you have done for us. God, may we examine our own hearts. And God, if there's any areas that we need to give to you, that we confess to you, God, that any concerns, any spiritual battles, God, we bring those before your feet. And I pray that as we do this together, we remember you and it enriches us and blesses us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.